So hi everyone. Uh, today I'm here with Mark uh, McIlvenny, who's the uh, director of sales um, at IE Hub. Um, hey Mark, well, nice, nice, nice to see you. So hi. thanks very much for joining us today. So we just want to have a bit of a chat. And I suppose it's interesting just finding out a little bit about your experience over the last last six months or so. I mean, it's been a crazy kind of time, a lot of change. But it'd be good to hear hear what you've been seeing really. Yeah, I, mean, I think with with IE Hub because we have um, different touch points, so we have client contact and direct customer contact. Mm. We very much reflect what's gone on kind of in the wider world or the world of collections, I suppose, mm. in terms of COVID, um, seeing some changes both in terms of customer contacts um, and the types of contact that have come through. Um, and certainly mm. the, the, the pandemic, because it's driven the industry to, to accelerate its digital contacts, we've kind of been part and parcel of that for, for lots of different firms across different sectors now all signing up and, and joining the mm. IE community. Mm. And are you finding different sectors, different sectors where maybe they weren't before? Is the yeah. sector mix changing? Um, I think for us it, it's kind of hard to say in terms of the mix. We are still relatively new as, as a company and mm. we work very broadly across lots of different sectors. So um, and during the pandemic, we've started to work with uh, a bank, a local authority, a collection agent, a utility mm -hmm. provider. Um, so uh, in terms of sectors, we're not seeing any specific focus, but indeed the um, the reach is, is, is very broad. And I think it, it is probably just, a, again, a reflection of the pandemic and that it is hitting everybody um, across society and, and every um, area, whether it's financial services, utilities, local authorities, housing associations, they're all feeling it in, in very much the same way because of the impact that it's having on their customers and, and all of us as a, as a community. And I suppose the pandemic's kind of hit in several ways as, as from, from your perspective, one of which is, you know, just the, you know, the ability to be able to service customers and that sort of like move toward digital. But the other thing is then that whole piece around affordability, right, as well, which is, you know, that but you have to try and make an assessment. You have to try and understand what's affordable versus what's not. And, you know, that's that's another way that 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 that, that, that start coming through because people are more stressed, I would think. Yeah, definitely. I think that that's probably been one of the biggest changes for us um, mm. with the pandemic is, is maybe the reason why organisations join up with IE Hub. Pre-pandemic, we were probably very much a, a typical collections tool um, mm. used to assess customer affordability and the drop out of that would then be uh, forbearance and, and financial vulnerability. But collections was that, that specific driver. With the pandemic, obviously the focus has changed um, and lots of organisations are looking at forbearance first and foremost. There's obviously been various guidance from the different regulators and encouraging mm. that and, and setting that in different ways. But what that's meant is the the use of IE Hub has become kind of that that sort of sharp edge for the affordability assessment, um, particularly within financial services where the FCA prescribed payment deferrals or payment holidays have come to an end. IE Hub's been used to look at that customer's financial position. So moving from that blanket approach into the tailored approach and an IE Hub affordability assessment then being shared with the credit are they can see specifically what does that customer need do they need a, a continued payment holiday or do they need some alternative forbearance is there a middle ground because ultimately the, the longer the payment deferral goes on for 
Um, that's effectively the, the, the bigger and steeper the hill it is for the customer to climb at the end if they, they, they ought to recover the account. Um, but certainly that's that's been a specific change within financial services. And similarly with the, the, the water companies as well, they've obviously all had social tariffs for a long time, but IE Hope's been used in that position more with, with those organisations as well. And yeah. just identifying where affordability meets the particular water company social tariff criteria. Yeah, so I, I suppose um, so income and expenditure has been an issue for a long time, certainly in financial services, but just more generally. And I mean, it's because it's, it's it just takes so much time, uh, you know, and I think, I mean, have you seen have you seen sort of like change changes in terms of the adoption of that changing across the, I suppose, different 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 industries? Um, I mean, I mean, how how's the solution been kind of kind of welcomed, really? Um. It's it's coming in different stages for different organisations. I think when we look at financial services and, and probably my background kind of going back many years, the introduction of income and expenditure um, was really pushed by the FCA as part of regulation. So there are some quite mature processes within financial services. And for some of those bigger organisations, um, it, it's well established. Where we fit uh, started to fit in, particularly with some of the more challenger banks coming through, where their affordability assessment maybe isn't as mature or their understanding of, of the collections process. So we've had some success there. Um, and then other industries where their regulator maybe hasn't been as prescriptive in terms of affordability. So particularly within water, housing um, and local authority, um, they've all had an affordability assessment of some kind um maybe that's been something they've developed themselves or they've, they've cribbed bits from from other industries um but because there isn't a consistent or mature approach um ie hope's been able to come in and, and particularly sort of the last year or so with the introduction of the standard financial statement and that going across multiple industries again that's helped us in, in our approach and having that consistent income and expenditure assessment that not only works with the maturer processes within financial services, but across all of the other industries that I've mentioned. And ultimately, from a customer point of view, there's a there's a benefit that they can engage as widely as they need to. What about what about open banking? There's been a lot of discussion around open banking. Um, so, I mean, where, where do you kind of feel that that kind of fits in? What have you have you seen a change in that? Um, you know, particularly in terms of, I mean. There's been quite a lot of discussion around it. I think sort of during during the lockdown or during the the pandemic. But you know, what 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 kind of things have, have you heard? I think from a, an open banking perspective, there's there's sort of two things that are, that have influenced us. Obviously, broadly, um, UK consumers are, are are becoming more digitally aware, and we mm. are seeing widely an increase in the use of open banking. Um, mm. so I think sort of some of the last numbers are that's hitting around the, the two million mark. There's obviously still a, a long way to go before, before open banking is, is commonplace, but we've seen that reflected in, in our open banking use within IE Hub. So a customer can mm. log in and effectively populate their INA using open banking. So we've seen a steady increase. The other um, factor which influences kind of our um, INA use is, is the different partners that we work with. So mm. if a partner is particularly um, open banking focus themselves or just has a as a more technology aware um customer base then we find that that creates a, a boost in our open banking use so over the course of um probably the last 10 months we've gone from sort of a, a few percent of our customer base using 
open banking appropriate INA to around 23% we are currently. Um, so they'll that customer will log in and they'll have an INE within yeah. sort of five minutes ready to deliver um, to their creditors. And how much how much does the, the open banking take off the, the time to fill out the INE? So I remember over the phone, right, an INE would typically take between 20 and 40 minutes, depending on depending on I suppose the product and the the, the depth and, and those kind of things. So I know that's why there's a big push to online. So, you know, how much does open banking save in terms of you know uh, completing an IE for the customer? From a customer's perspective, it's probably going to save them 15, 20 minutes, dependent on wow. uh, kind of their level of uh, awareness and ability at, at the offset, but. I mean, I'm, I'm an advocate of, of open bank and I, I use it myself within an IE hub and that makes the, the completion of the budget, it's just so much quicker. Um, mm. The data comes in and, and as a user, I can just screen my transactions, make sure I'm happy with how IE hubs categorise them against the SFS. And ultimately that's the budget populated and it's ready to go and it, it is mm. literally a few minutes um, to log into the online banking portal the data is mm. populated in seconds and it's ready to go. Mm. I mean, there's always quite, quite a lot of resistance, I suppose, from uh, I and E in collections in terms of like, you know, people, whether people really want to do that. I mean, to get 23% is pretty, uh, pretty, pretty, pretty impressive. And do you see, is that different by, is that different by industry or is that different by maybe that like type of customer? So customers are in, in, in like maybe more in arrears versus those, that those are the, the less in arrears. I and mean, do you see any kind of splits within that or? Um, so we don't see the customer's details specifically within the within IE Hub. It's, it's very much customer-owned data. Um, mm. What we can see is difference in open bank and access dependent on um, specific organisations. So mm. we said one of our partners that we work with within financial services, so they're a digital bank. Their customers are therefore far more digitally savvy. Mm. They, their open banking usage is far above our average. Mm. Uh, we then look at maybe another organisation, considering local authority, um, council tax collection, their customer base is going to be more broad. They're not particularly picking their customers. Mm. Um, those that end off in collections, um, some of them are using open banking, but they are far below um, mm. the average that we see within, within IE Hub. I think it's quite interesting. I mean, we've all had to become much more digitally savvy over the last six months, right? And almost like that in itself will drive up open banking usage as well as like online INE usage all sorts of things I would think. Yeah I mean it's, it's not and I suppose it's not um, sort of a customer exclusive piece where we see um, customer queries coming through and uh, customers manage a lot of the, the, the contact themselves we've got all the FAQs there but we do get customers looking for support and the the demographic of those customers just when we're having the individual conversations mm. they are very broad so we, we can't say sort of your over a certain age, then you don't use open banking. Yeah. We're getting questions about how to access this, what's the right way to share it from sort of all walks of life and, and all age groups. Yeah, I mean, that, 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 that's really a myth. I mean, in terms of like who's more digital savvy and which demographics more digital savvy is almost like that. I think there's some myths that have almost like been broken during the whole of the, of the whole of lockdown. It's, um, you know, some of the, the preconceptions we had before really have just proven to not be true, really. Um, I, I mean, I mean, largely so it feels like at least anyway, and like everyone's now doing it. Yeah, definitely. I think with the, the, the pandemic, it's made people question their own preferences. Mm. So I think people have had maybe had habits rather than a preference. And it might have been well, I go into my branch and I like to bank face to face and pandemic stopped that 
and forced people to go down another channel. But actually, mm. once they've got there and they've broken away from that habit, they've actually been able to to see two sides of uh, of a customer journey and, and actually form, a, I suppose, a a true preference rather than mm. just this is what I've always done. Yeah, I like I like that. That's um, we always talk about to like customer preferences, but actually they are customer habits. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, I really like that. It's good. Yeah. And I think a lot of that is just around how people are influenced. So mm. um, if you think about collections, we might always say, well, collections journeys, are the, the, the preference is, is telephone contact. But actually, it's probably been the exclusive contact channel for such a long time. And now that there's multiple channels, we're not just talking around about telephone or mm. digital. Digital splits off into different aspects. There's web chat there's you can use email there's mm. different web portals and actually given now giving people a true choice we'll get a better reflection of what preferences and, and i suppose as, as organizations we need to be as, as broad in those offerings as we possibly can and let the customer make the choice mm. for themselves sharing. what about data sharing um so that was always a bit of a, a resistance around sharing data across multiple organizations i mean over over the longest time and that sort of like stalled efforts around you know, INE sort of historically, at least anyway, it sounds like that's improving quite a bit and certainly into, into new sectors. But how do you feel that, that that kind of journey is coming on? Because it makes a load of logical sense. Yeah, I mean, it, it's certainly getting better. And we, the more organisations we work with, kind of the less of the, the compliance data protection type barriers um, mm -hmm. that we're coming up against. Obviously, GDPR um, is a factor within that and, and through IE Hub the customer owns and manages and controls their data and, and they're given consent um, every time they, they share their information out. Um, so that's that's kind of one of the one of the big keys that they can they can have it and hold it and it's it's kind of theirs um, to do as they wish. In mm. terms of the data coming back the other way, I think we were, were really pleased to see the FCA encouraging data sharing for firms that have the capability. Um, and if not any organisation who's part of IE Hub, as well as having a customer portal, we have a creditor portal, so the information can go back the other way. So if a creditor mm. invests in completing an INE, they can share it back with their customer, and the customer's then got something which they can share with the next creditor. Um, and, and really, that's one of the, the big drivers in terms of, of what IE Hub wants to do is make life easier for that customer, give them their mm. INE, and let them engage with each of their creditors. So, and typically, UK consumers got six unsecured debts and each of those creditors will have an INE process of, of some form um, and it's the I suppose the repetition of that INE engagement um, that we want to try and break down and the fact mm. that the customer's got their own INE they can just deliver it to each of those creditors yes they still have to have a level of engagement but that engagement isn't at the level of the the kind of the mundane or the intrusive how much do you spend on X? It's all being presented as a single INE goes out and the creditor can have a much more concise, informed conversation with the customer mm. and ultimately spend their call time um, on getting to that customer outcome mm. and not having to interrogate INE data. Yeah, you don't have the, the bright light in front of them, sort of like a, you can have, you can have more of a, a helpful conversation. Yeah, around it's, it's how definitely can you help that. Them out. You, you kind of, I always think about it's the, the the mastermind chair when you've got the customer on the phone okay the question one what do you earn okay what do you spend when you go to the supermarket you take all that away and putting it into a into a customer-led digital journey i can fill an i and e in at my own time 
if I do that manually or whether I use open banking, but it's it's in my gift. I can put the kids to bed, do whatever I need to do, focus a bit of time in the INE, send it to the creditor. And then when I'm having a conversation with all those different lenders, it's kind of that legwork's done and it's mm. very much you can see what I can afford. And this is the arrangement that we're going to agree or the forbearance, which I might need on that particular account mm. at that time. So, so we talked a bit about um, as a data, data sharing um, and I suppose INE and forbearance. Uh, how, how, how do you how do you guys kind of fit in with the new breathing space re- regulations that are coming out, like sort of like the start of next year? Um, I mean, what's what's going to be the interaction between that, I suppose, and uh, the free debt advice sector, um, et cetera? I mean, I mean, how, how do you see all that kind of working? Because that's potentially a fairly, fairly big change that could, that could kind of happen in terms of dynamics. Yeah, definitely. I mean, we're, we're sort of still waiting to see some of the detail from the insolvency service, but IE Hub want, want to play an active part in that. Um, prior to IE Hub, my background is within debt advice, so kind of understanding some of the, the, the customer challenges as well as the, the debt advisor challenges. And, and what we've been really keen to do is use IE Hub not just to link customers to creditors, but link customers to debt advisors and debt advisors to customers. We give you sort of our kit to to any free debt advice provider um, completely for free. Um, and what we can then enable the customer to do or the client as they would become is share their INE information with a debt advisor so we can make the debt advisor's job easier. The debt advisor can, can kind of do their particular role and they can share their INE back with the customer. So the customer's got a record of that advice conversation. The debt advisor can manage the debt solution for them. But what we're then going to of our, our development roadmap for um, uh, probably end of this year and, and early into next year is look to see how do we track that journey. So mm. what we want to do is then be able to um, acknowledge within an INE that a debt advisor has completed the INE with the customer. The customer's got a debt advisor approved INE and they can then share that with a creditor. And within mm. the IE Hub journey, we'll show the creditor that the INE was completed by a debt advisor. So the, the credit has then got something which they can use to, to apply some breathing space, um, mm. whether that's just a single view or, or something that can map into mm. the insolvency service piece we yet to define, but the, the opportunity is there. And certainly just giving the debt advice provider the recognition they've done the work um, and carrying that through to the creditor gives the creditor some confidence as well. Mm. Quite like the idea of almost like transparency across the process. So you have sort of like the customers entering the you know, the INE data and, and and everyone can see different spots in terms of like where where everyone can see in different spots where where the where the information you know what information is being put in where they currently sit within the journey those kind of things and that sort of transparency from a custom point of view as much as from each of the businesses or the you know the creditors point of view is, it seems quite interesting it's an interesting concept yeah I mean kind of the, one of the, the the things that I want to try and get across within IE Hub is there aren't winners and losers or they don't have to be winners and losers if we have that transparency ultimately the best thing for the customer is the best thing for the creditor and um, mm. creditors can get paid or apply the forbearance where they need to and, and ultimately retain a customer and, and have account which eventually recovers um situations aren't fantastic for everybody there'll be some some short-term support which need which is needed others might be more long-term but ultimately having that transparency everybody knows exactly where they are yeah yeah, it's trying to get a win-win out of what is a, a difficult situation for everyone, really, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, really. Yeah. Um, okay. I mean, so so what what do you think the future holds? Um, so, so we've just gone back into into another lockdown in England, at least anyway. 
um, you know, it seems like you know cases are rising in in, in Europe. I mean, what what do you what do you think is going to be the next six months? Um, if only I had the crystal ball. Um, yeah. I think for me the the, the worry with um, where we are is, is potentially where we just continue to kick the can down the road. I think the the offer of forbearance there for customers is is absolutely fantastic, and and the industry's doing a great job in in kind of meeting those challenges and, and being in the right place for the customer. I think the longer we go on with a with a blanket, the one size fits all forbearance. Potentially the the bigger problem we're storing up for tomorrow. Um, certainly a more tailored approach means that there's the halfway house can be found for some of those customers if they are able to repay some of their debt for the next three or six months actually at the end of that period the the, the hill that they've got to climb isn't going to be so big and um, so that is kind of one of my worries of if we extend if lockdown gets extended it'll be the extended forbearance i think that the problem is getting bigger the longer we go on mm. uh, and the, there needs to be some bite point i know for for some customers and for businesses as well that isn't going to be um an easy situation but I think if we can realise some of those sooner rather than later, then then the problem might not be so much to overcome. Yeah, I mean, it certainly feels from the conversations I've been having is is every single every single lockdown sort of it sort of concentrated the the population. So people went on payment holidays, and then some people rolled over, some people didn't. Um, and every single time we go, it, that population gets smaller. But for those people who need it, the problem gets kicked down the road further, and then it can become worse. Right? And I suppose it's question is i mean even using like, like we're chatting about um with you guys is how do you get that information and help those people today rather than well waiting for it to become yeah. sort of you know yeah another six months down the road right because you know some people are okay but some people are going to be are really sort of struggling yeah and that, that's the thing there's, and there's, there's lots there's lots going on out there there's lots of forbearance lots of different options there's lots of goodwill i think the the piece that we need to then try and overcome whether it's at the front end of a payment deferral or at the end is how do we get those customers to to engage and, and mm. effectively self-diagnose yeah. um, to a certain extent and, and look to see well actually the forbearance that we're putting in is it is it the right forbearance or is there a point where we need to have almost a, a moment of truth whether it's uh, from a mortgage lender's perspective see ultimately um the long-term prospect isn't good and, and actually it's better to have a um, mm. effectively a controlled or, or, or managed exit um mm where the, the, the outcomes are then more favorable again for for everybody yeah yeah it's trying to get that it's trying to get that win-win the, the best you possibly can yeah. the the best outcomes for everyone i suppose is, yeah. is is really if you if you can get to it right so yeah it's it's, it's a hard concept i suppose to, to consider if you're a customer and if you if he, it does come to a repossession or something of that nature it's really hard to look at that as a win but yeah. actually if you compare it to what the alternatives might be and you could be in a, a property struggling for the next 12 months worrying about your mortgage or do you kind of exit now get something which is, is more affordable and you've saved yourself all of that stress and anxiety for the next year yeah. um, it, it's a difficult concept but, but actually for some people that might be the the right way to go about it yeah, I suppose that's where that, you know, the the desk advice sector really kind of helps people right sort of talk through some of those issues and sort of coaches people through right 
Well, well, Mark, thank you very much for your, for your time. I really appreciate it. It's great to get a bit of insight into into your world, the world of I and E, um, uh, you know, and everything and everything that's been going on. Because I think you know, digital has been such a hot topic, and it's great to find out a little bit more about you know how you can you can gradually basically see it starting marching across the industry, right? And it's really being adopted. So, so really appreciate your in, appreciate your insight very much. So, so uh, thank you very much. Cool. No, thank you, Chris.